You know, it's, it's said, and I was an economics major, so I, I know about this. It's said that everything has its price. And it's true. It's true that everything has, well, most everything has a, a fair market value, and we're very, very keen to understand what the, the value of things really is in the world as we live it. Um, but I want you to know this morning, not everything has a price. And uh, we, we're going to finish this series uh, in the Gospel of John, and we'll come back to the triumphal entry, you know, Palm Sunday. So we're not just dropping it. We'll come back right to the next thing, which is Jesus' triumphal entry later. Um, as, we, as we break into this particular scene, which happens at a party, that Lazarus and Mary and Martha are, are throwing. Um, you heard Mary and Martha and Lazarus three times already in the Gospel of John, and that's because they were very close friends of Jesus. That's because, in case you're wondering, Jesus did have friends. The Son of God did have friends. He had close friends that he enjoyed being with, and he was fond of a party as well, in case you were wondering. He's the God-man. And God placed him here to live life in our place as well as die in our place. And what we see at this party is we see this, this lady that shows us everything doesn't have a price. She just gives from her heart to Jesus in a way that, as we'll find out, was not only astonishing, but even a little scandalous. Because of the reckless, all-giving love that she gave to Jesus that night at the party. Now, I could uh, begin in contrasting her great generosity and her other-centered love. I could begin, certainly, with several minutes to just kind of pound you down on how stingy your little hearts are. (laughs) But I think you know this. I think you know that you clutch more than give. Um, I think you know that deep in our hearts, the way we're operating in a day-in and day-out level, we're kind of padding our own lives and giving God the leftovers. I'm not talking about the way we talk about how much we love Jesus. I'm just talking about the way we clutch more than give, just by, as, as sinners, as as selfish people living in a fallen world who are fallen ourselves. And right there, and we know that it's right there before the, the incalculable sacrifice of Jesus who gave all for us. And I could say that, and all of it would be true. Um, and I think it's especially true with God because so much of what we give from God kind of comes from really our hearts. It's kind of in private. Whether we worship God, and and Sunday, of course, we worship Him publicly. Whether we give to God, whether we are generous with our lives with God. And and because it's in private and because other people can't see it and we can't get credit for it, that's even less motivation sometimes for us to, to kind of move on toward this wildly generous, loving, giving more than clutching kind of lifestyle as followers of the one who died for us. Anybody take issue with that, that you're a 
selfish little sinner that clutches more than gives? <laughs> See me afterwards if you do, okay? I've got about an hour for you. <laughs> it's just who we are. But I'd like to focus on the more inspiring aspect of what's going on here. In other words, I don't want to just shame you to give. I want this gospel to inspire you and me to give. Um, I'd like to see, to put it in medical terms, kind of the clogged arteries of our giving unclogged. So there's just kind of flow again toward God. There's flow of love in our hearts. There's flow of worship. And, and as the Old Testament says, we don't bring to the Lord that which costs us nothing. That it's a flow that is meaningful. It is a flow that is love because love is sacrificial. And so is our love for God. I want to maybe see if God will put a stint in our in our spiritual arteries, so, so maybe there could be some flow, you know. Three quick things that make this so beautiful, inspiring. It has to do with, with Mary, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and what she does. She does it, three things. She does what she does humbly, and it is so inspiring. She does it sacrificially. And she does it so lovingly. This is amazingly humble slash humiliating thing that Mary does. Okay, you know, it's, it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who are giving the party, paying for the party. I mean, she's kind of one of the leading ladies of Bethany. One of the well-thought-of people, you know, everybody kind of thinks they come from a, a little bit more money than, than not. And in the midst of this party, one of the people giving the party, it just comes to serve Jesus in an outrageous way. What she does is, is she comes in with this alabaster jar, and we'll talk more about the jar in a moment. She comes to Jesus and she, she bends down and literally gets on her knees, bows down, so to speak, before Jesus of Nazareth, and she begins to anoint Jesus' feet. We go, oh, that's so sweet. That's, that's not sweet in this culture. That's outrageous. That's humiliating. Uh, I know most everybody wears socks here. Maybe some of you more hippie-ish people don't. I'm talking about during the daytime. Well, they didn't. And they didn't have sidewalks and paved roads, and they didn't have, you know, all the, 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 the swept clean surfaces that we have. Life was kind of dirtier and sweatier and all of that, stinkier than, than it is now, including feet. And so it was reserved for the servants to wash people's feet, to do anything with people's feet. I mean, you know, even today, messing with people's feet is not something we just do. And she's right there, leading lady of the city, throwing the party. I mean, you know, her name's on the invitation of who is giving the party and would, would honor, be honored by your presence at the party. 
And she comes in and she gets down and she starts anointing Jesus' feet. This is, this is incredibly menial and a servant, a humbling thing to do. Only serves, only slaves do this kind of thing. Now, Mary is mentioned three times in the Gospels. And interestingly, every single time she's mentioned, it is in reference to Jesus' feet. I'll give you the list. In, uh, in Luke 10, 39, this is the story where Martha, her sister, who is the, the bustling, busy person, get it done, kind of type A, check, you know, check off the list, you know, kind of person that always gets it done. She's scurrying around. Jesus is at a party at their house. And she's scurrying around. And Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to Jesus teach and just loving His teaching. And Martha is so irritated, she complains to Jesus that Mary, the sister's not helping her. And, and there she is at his feet. That, at sitting at his feet is kind of code for, I'm lower than you and I'm learning from you. Jesus said, actually, Mary's, when I'm teaching, Mary's got the best part here. Martha, you're so uptight. Quit serving for a minute while I'm teaching. Mary's at his feet. The second is after Lazarus dies, you know, Martha goes out to meet him and Martha confronts Jesus. If you, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And um, and Mary is inside the house just grieving her own way, just crying. And she's not going out. Well, Martha goes and tells Mary. Mary runs out to where Jesus is on the city limits. And um, the first thing Mary does, unlike Martha, she falls at Jesus' feet, weeping. And she says, Oh, Lord, in tears, if you had not, if you had come, if only you had come, my brother... Um, would not have died. And then the last time is the most outrageous is this text when when the leading lady of uh, one of the leading ladies of Bethany rushes into the room and and gets down and starts anointing the feet of Jesus at the middle of this big party. We know it's a big party because we know all the apostles are there. We know that there must be other people there as well. And then we know uh, that from verses 9 through 11, that lots of other people come because they hear Jesus is there. And there she is right in front of everybody doing only what a slave would do. And I, I want you to know, this is inspiring for me. In all three places that she appears in the Bible. You know what humility is? Humility is the attitude and the act of considering yourself lower than someone else just because you want to lift them up. I didn't say that because they didn't, they, they have more money than you or they have a higher position than you or they come from a different station than you. No, no. Humility is a willful lowering regardless of who the person is in front of you in order to lift someone up, in order for, for you to serve, be under them. That's what it means to humble yourself before someone. Look, it is an incredible thing in this world and particularly in the Roman world where everything was about strata. Everything was about pride. We don't associate with those people. And slaves and and non-slaves don't ever mix and blah, blah, blah. Not so with the Christian faith where everybody was put together. It didn't matter the class. didn't matter where they were from. didn't matter where where from the Roman Empire they might have been from. And basically it is because Jesus humbled himself. To death. Even to death on the cross. And, and so to, to kind of be a follower of Jesus, 
we're being taught what that looks like. And, and I want you to know, ten days after this party, you know who's going to teach us what this looks like? Jesus. Ten days after this party, they're going to be in an upper room for what we call the Last Supper. But before the Last Supper is served, Jesus is going to get down on his knees with a towel and a basin. And he is going to wash the feet of his disciples. And Peter's going to say, no, no, you're, you're the Son of God. You will not wash my feet. That is what servants do. You will not do that to me. And Jesus says, exactly. Unless I wash you, you don't have any part with me. Because I have come to serve. And you will serve. I've done this as an example, he says, for you. That you might also wash other people's feet. And this is like a social outrage at this party. It's so amazing. The leading lady on her knees. Washing feet. It's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Humbly. Secondly is, this is incredibly sacrificial. Get ready for something you might not know about this passage. So you know she appears from this other room in the house. The house is not her own house. It is the house we learn in Matthew's Gospel of Simon the leper, who could have been uh, their parent, Could have been a close friend, definitely was also a a leading citizen, somebody that Jesus had healed from leprosy. I mean, there's a lot going on at this party, celebrating Lazarus being raised from the dead, celebrating Jesus, celebrating, by extension, the fact that Simon the leper is not a leper anymore and, and that it's in his house. But she comes from this other room with this this kind of box or Maybe a jar. Different people depict it a little different. It's alabaster. I mean, this is not, just a jar is expensive. It's supposed to be an expensive jar because of what it holds. It holds a, a pound of spikenard. And you're probably going, what is spikenard? Nard. Well, let me just put it this way. Um, it's one of the most expensive substances you could buy in the ancient world. And for all we know, this could have been a part of not just her, but their wealth. She might have, she might have broke open their box, for all we know. This could have been her inheritance. Whether it's hers or theirs that she's kind of doing this with, we know this. She doesn't own anything more expensive than this. This this is like kind of her net worth. Spikenard is interesting. It's an ointment. And it comes from the base of the Himalaya Mountains in India. That's a long way away from Israel. Long way away from Bethany right outside of of Jerusalem. And the, the fact that it's a long way away makes it expensive. The fact that it uh, there, it takes so much of it to distill down into this ointment makes it wildly expensive. And this is a preferred scent and a preferred of, of, of kings' wives, of officials' wives, of wealthy people's wives, leading ladies... 
for its skin care properties as well as its scent. So, yes, ancient women had products as well. So how much did it cost? Thankfully, we know about this because Judas Iscariot tells us how much it costs. Judas, we'll talk about it in a minute, goes crazy because she just wasted all this on Jesus at one time. You know how much it cost? It cost an average man's wages for a year. So I tell you what, let's just break this down at a minimal amount, all right? Let's break this down in today's dollars of $10 an hour. Is that fair enough? $10 an hour, eight hours a day for 300 days working out of 365. You know how much that is? You know how much? You know how much that cost that she brought in there? If, if we just use $10 an hour, that's $24,000 worth of spikenard that she put on Jesus' feet. And Matthew says, anointed his head as well. When Evo would have done. You know what Evo is? See, I didn't know what Evo is. It's extra virgin olive oil. I mean, we're all kind of into Evo these days. I don't even buy the most expensive Evo. (laughs) Olive oil would would have been great to anoint Jesus' feet. Not just, I mean, you know, if you raise it more than $10 an hour, this gets really expensive in a hurry. (laughs) Jesus raised her brother from the dead. Jesus was her Lord. Jesus was the, the, the heartbeat of her life. And there just wasn't really a price. It's what it shows that she breaks the, literally breaks the neck of this jar. Like we're not going back once we've broken it. I like what one of the scholars says. He says the effect on the atmosphere is immediate and pervasive as the whole house just fills with this fragrance of what Mary has done both physically and emotionally. Filling the house. Can you imagine what people were thinking? When she just cracked open and and just put $24,000 worth of ointment on Jesus? Well, we know that at least what one person was thinking. And I'm going to make the case that maybe we shouldn't um, be too hard on Judas Iscariot in a way. The mood at the dinner party got a little tense. That was a smell, by the way, that most of the people in the room would have never smelled in their whole life. This is reserved for the, the wealthy only to smell that smell. That was, a, that was kind of a big moment for them in a lot of ways, I guess. But the mood changes at this party. It gets a little more tense. And uh, as one scholar says, some people probably shook their head in disbelief at what she was doing. The silence is broken by the sounds of murmuring. The swells into Judas's tirade of angry words. Why did you do that? You just wasted $24,000 of the Lord's money on a Jewish carpenter. 
We could have sold that at its fair market value and had 24 G's to give to the poor. And now people are going to go hungry and you've just poured $24,000 onto Jesus' feet. I, mean, I get that. I, I probably, you know, I probably would have thought the same thing. I probably would have thought that is really wonderful. But why in the world did she just pour twenty four thousand dollars out on his feet? I mean, let's put this in in modern terminology here. I mean, you wouldn't want your pastor to go like spend twenty four thousand dollars of the church budget on a spa treatments. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Turn in receipt. $24,000 worth of spa treatments, Joseph Wheat. I mean, I just think the deacons would have a hard time with that. I mean, I, I will tell you now, since, there's hardly, since everybody's in Oxford and Starkville and other places, I, I, feel, I feel a little more comfortable telling you all this if you all don't tell the others. I will neither confirm nor deny whether I've ever had a pedicure or not. <laughs> and I, I will need to confirm nor deny that my feet aren't the prettiest thing in the whole world and, and maybe on vacation, maybe I might have had a pedicure from time to time I tell you what, I'm not sitting up in that chair around here no sir So this is like an incredibly humble thing to do to to anoint feet, leading lady. This is an outrageously sacrificial and lavish thing to do, to pour out this box of spikenard on his feet. Was it worth it? Well, Jesus is going to answer our question in a moment. Jesus is going to say, it's absolutely worth it. You know, I remember... um, Years ago, we started a church, Gina and I did, in, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And, you know, it's a little church. It's getting together, and people are coming, and, you know, we're forming a church. And pretty early on, I, I thought, you know, if we're going to be a real church, we need to have a missions conference. Jim Baird, if I remember, came and spoke at one of our missions conferences. Hey, Jim, I wanted to say hey to you, too. We love you. We love you, too, Jane. So I wanted to have a missions conference. So we started having these missions conferences, you know. And so there came time for the, you know, to pass the plate the second time for missions giving. And sitting on the front row of the church was this little boy named Wes Pruitt. He must have been about the, at that time, he must have been like eight or nine or ten years old. I, I don't know exactly. He's just this little boy on the front row and and so, you know, the, the deacons have their plates. And so because Wes was inside front row, Wes got the plate first. The plate stayed with Wes Pruitt for two to three minutes. Because Wes Pruitt began to pull out all these wadded up $1 bills, and he was unfurling them, each one of them individually, to make it acceptable to God, I guess. And he was laying these kind of crumpled, and it was a lot of money. 
I mean, I was shocked. I was just kind of sitting there in the offering going, wow, he just keeps pulling out money. And the plate was kind of like, there was a lot of air between the bills because it was crumpled. So the plate was about that high before the second person got it. So I talked to his, his mama after, after church and I said, I, I need to know, I need to know about like this plate full of money that Wes Pruitt <laughs> gave to missions today. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes. She said, Joseph, it's everything he has in this world. He's been saving it. And he couldn't wait for this moment where he could just give it all to Jesus and to missions. Um, Man, and a little child will lead them. And in the New Testament, and a woman will lead them. This woman, Mary. Jesus explains that this is not wasteful. Jesus basically says this is this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And um, and he talks about that in Matthew's account. Um, he says, Leave her alone. What she is doing is beautiful. And that word is just, I mean, it, it really means that it's exquisite. Let her alone, Judas. All you people, leave her alone. What she's doing is beautiful. She's preparing me for my death. And one day, if you look in Matthew's Gospel, she will be remembered throughout time for this beautiful gift. Leave her alone. That she may keep it, verse 7 of our text, for my burial. So, so why is this not too much to give, should have had a price on it. Because, though Mary doesn't understand it, she is the one Jesus has chosen, God has chosen. She just loves Christ. She just knows her brother was raised from the dead. She just knows that this is her heartbeat, her Savior, right here in front of her, and and she just does this. She has no clue that she's been selected to ceremonially prepare Him for dying on the cross and being buried. What a privilege. And you know, knowing this now, looking back through that that God had chosen her to, to make this statement about the value of Jesus, about the value of the cross, now looking back through that lens, we say, well, of course there's no price that you could have paid, put on that. But sitting there at that party, we wouldn't have probably seen it that way. There's nothing... Too lavish for this, we would say. So this is humble. This is sacrificial. But lastly, this is so loving. She didn't just pour the oil on his feet and his head. Y'all, she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, I don't know if that strikes you in any particular way. I want want you to think about a woman with long hair and using her hair to to dry his feet of this oil, this, this ointment. Okay? This is kind of scandalous in the culture. 
women, we read in the, the rabbis of the time, women are not supposed to, quote, unbind their hair, let down their hair with any man except for their husband. Letting down your hair in front of another man in that culture was a sign of intimacy. And it was shocking enough for the leading lady of Bethany, one of them, that sent out the engraved invitations to go and get on her knees and, and, and work with feet. It was utterly shocking that she would take $24,000 worth of nard and break that bottle and drain every bit of it on Jesus' feet and his head. But this is incredibly shocking that she was letting down her hair and, and drying Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, I think we can intuitively get this. Even today, touch, you don't touch other people's hair. I mean, if you were like sitting in, in, in line at a ball game or a concert like in a queue and somebody started stroking your hair that you didn't know, <laughs> what would you think about that? We still don't touch people's hair. And some of it's sprayed in place and it won't be touched anyway, but we don't touch people's hair. Unless you're a barber or something like that. So that's still socially frowned upon. Imagine how frowned upon it was for this single woman to go let her hair down and literally put her hair all over Jesus' feet to dry his feet. One scholar says, it is hard to read this story even today without raising an eyebrow. This is an expression of deep love that's so reckless and deep and, and ready and needing to be expressed that it risks social disapproval. Man, this was really something, what was going on here. And those who saw it not only were scandalized by it, but they realized what an incredible statement this was by this woman $24,000, humble, to that, and how much she loved Jesus. And Jesus says, it is beautiful. Matthew 26.10, Jesus, aware of what they were saying, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? What she has done is beautiful to me. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me with you. In fact, the pouring of this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her because of her deep, courageous, unrestrained love of Jesus. And it inspires me. And it challenges me. And embracing Jesus in our lives is so beautiful. And, and un, unclenching and giving. Unclenching and embracing is so beautiful. It not only shows her beautiful giving heart, it shows us the incalculably valuable self-sacrifice of Jesus. You see, Mary doesn't have a price. Jesus says, shouldn't have a price. 
This is about me. This is about my crucifixion. Guess what? Go home with this idea. Your Savior didn't have a price either. He gave it all. It was all or nothing. Life or death. All. Your Savior didn't have a price. He gave it all. Jesus gave it all. We're not going to sing that. But He did. And we have received all from Him. All from the cross. And all of our sins are forgiven because of what He has given. And we have all things. And we have His presence unheld back. We have His embrace. We have our place in the family never be taken away. We have His love that death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things past, nor things to come, or anything else in creation will ever be able to separate us from all that Jesus has given us. That is His entire love that He has given us. All as we keep being loved. Wouldn't it be great if we could say, and we love Him. And we love others in ways that our friends and the world takes notice. It's not normal how these people love. It's not normal how humble it is. It's not normal how sacrificial it is. It's not normal how outrageous it is. And that's why our love, our love, your love, should not have a price. Because Jesus had no price. And Mary had no price. Let's pray. Lord, this is an amazing challenge to our souls today. Our hearts, our minds. Thank you, Jesus, that you were not only prepared for your burial by Mary at an outrageous cost that really symbolizes beyond cost, beyond cost, but thank you that you were not only prepared for your burial, thank you that you willingly swept blood in a garden, you willingly set your face like a flint to be the scourged one, to be the crucified one, to be the one who is dead and buried on our behalf. Thank you that you defeated sin for us. You defeated all that we could never defeat. We who are under the curse of a law we cannot keep before a holy God, you took our sins and nailed them to the cross in your body. And if you have put your trust in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, then you are free. You are forgiven. You are loved with an unconditional, ultimate, everlasting love. And Lord, what we, what we ask today coming out of this passage is that you would just open our eyes to this love, open our hearts to this love. Lord, unless you change us solely by the gospel, solely by the cross, everything from 
this moment on to the gospel will be about the cross and the empty tomb. Lord, would you help our awareness of your love to unclog the arteries of our love. And Lord, could it even be something that even through us that people would would really be affected by the humility of it, the sacrificial nature of our love, and even the radical nature of our love. Glorify yourself because of the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.